Chapter Six of *The Girl in the Golden Atom* by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Strategy and kisses. It was the morning of my third day in the castle. Began the chemist again, that I was taken by Lilda before the king. We found him seated alone in a little anteroom, overlooking a large courtyard, which we could see was crowded with an expectant waiting throng. I must explain to you now that I was considered by Lilda somewhat in the light of a messiah come to save her nation from the destruction that threatened it. She believed me a supernatural being, which indeed, if you come to think of it, gentlemen, is exactly what I was. I tried to tell her something of myself and the world I had come from, but the difficulties of language and her smiling insistence and faith in her own conception of me soon caused me to desist. Thereafter, I let her have her own way and did not attempt any explanation again for some time. For several weeks before Lilda found me sleeping by the river's edge, she had made almost a daily pilgrimage to that vicinity, a maidenly premonition, a feeling that had first come to her several years before told her of my coming, and her father's knowledge and scientific beliefs had led her to the outer surface of the world as the direction in which to look. A curious circumstance, gentlemen, lies in the fact that Lilda clearly remembered the occasion when this first premonition came to her, and in the telling she described graphically the scene in the cave where I saw her through the microscope. The chemist paused an instant and then resumed. When we entered the presence of the king, he greeted me quietly and made me sit by his side while Lilda knelt on the floor at our feet. The king impressed me as a man about fifty years of age. He was smooth-shaven, with black wavy hair, reaching to his shoulders. He was dressed in the usual tunic, the upper part of his body covered by a quite similar garment, ornamented with a variety of metal objects. His feet were protected with a sort of buskin. At his side hung a crude-looking metal spear. The conversation that followed my entrance lasted perhaps fifteen minutes. Lilda interpreted for us as well as she could, though I must confess we were all three at times completely at a loss. But Lilda's bright, intelligent little face and the resourcefulness of her gestures always managed somehow to convey her meaning. The charm and grace of her manner, all during the talk, her winsomeness, and the almost spiritual kindness and tenderness that characterized her, made me feel that she embodied all those qualities with which we of this earth idealize our own womanhood. I found myself falling steadily under the spell of her beauty, until, well, gentlemen, it's childish for me to enlarge upon this side of my adventure, you know, but Lilda means everything to me now, and I'm going back for her just as soon as I possibly can. "'Bully for you,' cried the very young man. "'Why didn't you bring her with you this time?' "'Let him tell it in his own way,' remonstrated the doctor. The very young man subsided with a sigh. "'During our talk,' resumed the chemist, "'I learned from the king that Lilda had promised him my assistance in overcoming the enemies that threatened his country. He smilingly told me that our charming little interpreter 
had assured him that I would be able to do this. Lilda's blushing face, as she conveyed this meaning to me, was so thoroughly captivating that before I knew it, and quite without meaning to, I pulled her up towards me and kissed her. The king was more surprised by far than Lilda at this extraordinary behavior. Obviously, neither of them had understood what a kiss meant, although Lilda, by her manner, evidently comprehended pretty thoroughly. I told them, then, as simply as possible, to enable Lilda to get my meaning, that I could and would gladly aid in their war. I explained, then, that I had the power to change my stature, and could make myself grow very large or very small in a short space of time. This, as Lilda evidently told it to him, seemed quite beyond the king's understanding. He comprehended finally, or at least he agreed to believe my statement. This led to the consideration of practical questions of how I was to proceed in their war. I had not considered any details before, but now they appeared of the utmost simplicity. All I had to do was make myself a hundred or two hundred feet high, walk out to the battle lines, and scatter the opposing army like a set of small boys' playthings. "'What a quaint idea,' said the banker. "'A modern Gulliver.' The chemist did not heed this interruption. Then, like three children, we plunged into a discussion of exactly how I was to perform these wonders, the king laughing heartily as we pictured the attack on my tiny enemies. He then asked me how I expected to accomplish this change of size, and I very briefly told him of our larger world, and the manner in which I had come from it into his. Then I showed the drugs that I still carried carefully strapped to me. This seemed definitely to convince the king of my sincerity. He rose abruptly to his feet and strode through a doorway onto a small balcony overlooking the courtyard below. As he stepped out into the view of the people, a great cheer arose. He waited quietly for them to stop and then raised his hand and began speaking. Lilda and I stood hand in hand in the shadow of the doorway, out of sight of the crowd, but with it and the entire courtyard plainly in our view. It was a quadrangle enclosure formed by the four sides of the palace, perhaps three hundred feet across, packed solidly now with people of both sexes, the gleaming whiteness of the upper parts of their bodies and their upturned faces making a striking picture. For perhaps ten minutes the king spoke steadily, save when he was interrupted by applause. Then he stopped abruptly, and turning, pulled Lilda and me out upon the balcony. The enthusiasm of the crowd doubled at our appearance. I was pushed forward to the balcony rail, where I bowed to the cheering throng. Just after I left the king's balcony, I met Lilda's father. He was a kindly-faced old gentleman, and took a great interest in me and my story. He, it was, who told me about the physical conformation of his world, and he seemed to comprehend my explanation of mine. That night it rained, a heavy torrential downpour, such as we have in the tropics. Lilda and I had been talking for some time, and I must confess I had been making love to her ardently. I broached now the principal object of my entrance into her world, 
and with an eloquence I did not believe I possessed, I pictured the wonders of our own great earth above, begging her to come back with me and live out her life with mine. Much of what I said she probably did not understand, but the main facts were intelligible without question. She listened quietly. When I had finished and waited for her decision, she reached slowly out and clutched my shoulders awkwardly, making as if to kiss me. In an instant she was in my arms with a low, happy little cry. End of chapter 6